Hello, everyone. Welcome to Outcasts, a limited series on Afterthought Media where I, Jay Ellis, do my best impression of Diane Sawyer and deep dive into the lives of Afterthought hosts. My guest today is known for his work on Catching Up and his monthly Patreon series of zines, but that's Peanuts compared to the children's book, Open Up Your Bag, he released in 2018. Hi, Mike Lawson. Oh my God, you did homework. I thought you were going to make me do all of that. Not at all. No, I, (laughs) well, the funny thing is, is it's so funny to me because I, obviously I am involved in Afterthought and I've been listening to a lot of, I've been listening to Catching Up since I've known Joe. So for me, this whole series, I'll kind of tell a kind of a broad stroke for things so that you know what it is. And for people who maybe just saw the name Mike Lawson and immediately clicked on this and they don't know what this is. Um, Outcasts is a series that I launched that it kind of came out of boredom from being quarantined of just kind of deep diving into the hosts of Afterthought and just kind of learning a little bit about them because we only learn so much on the shows. And so I kind of wanted to take uh, these hosts out of their element and kind of learn about them and really focus the show about kind of what it is to be a queer host or queer in their life or even their coming out stories, just kind of uh, who you are and what makes you you. And that's kind of where the show came from. So, but the funny thing is I've, I've listened to you and I know all your credits just off. I didn't have to write anything down. I knew it all off the top of my head. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, I, I'm glad you're doing this. I think it's really interesting. I haven't listened to the first episode that you did with Lori yet, but um, we why not? Reco- well, just, <laughs> no, I'm just, out. Give me a break. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we recorded a catching up episode this morning and people were talking about the interview you did with Lori. So I can't wait to listen to it. Oh, so that's I- so exciting. And yeah. I, I know that we're on Discord. So if you I, I do not have it open, but Mike, you do. Is that correct? I do. Yeah, I'm in the chat now. Fantastic. So if you if anybody in the chat has any questions or anything, I hope Mike will just pass it on and maybe we can incorporate that in. I didn't do that last time, but um, I was saying yesterday to Lori, it's so interesting to interview her and see a different side because we always get kind of the jokey Lori. Right. And it was it was kind of interesting to learn maybe stories that people haven't heard. So um, thank you again for doing this for me. You're my second guest. So I'm still kind of getting my legs on this. But I thank you so much for being here. Happy to do it. Yeah. So I kind of want to let's start with the simple question. How how are you dealing with COVID-19 and the isolation? How are you are you hanging in there? Yeah, I'm so this is the uh, seventh or eighth day of my self quarantine, Mm -hmm. Um, self isolation, whatever. I don't have it, um, but I am worried about getting it. So I kind of have been on self quarantine. The city of San Francisco, uh, where I work, is also kind of like on uh, has been on lockdown since like Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. So we're all just locked down mm-hmm. and I'm doing okay. I had a few minutes this morning where I, this is weird and emotional and like, whatever it is, what it is. This is reality though. I just want to fucking hug. Like I, I've missed personal like touch and interaction so much. Like I haven't shaken a hand. I haven't gotten a pat on the back or been able to like just touch anyone I get that. I I miss it, man. Like I'm, I'm an isolated person. I'm an introvert kind of by nature. Mm -hmm. And believe me, there are a lot of things I'm really enjoying about this that I, you know, don't have to do things. I don't have to like do all these like social things that I kind of feel obligated to do. Sometimes um, I have a really great excuse to kind of shut in and draw and watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and podcast and just kind of do that kind of thing. But at the same time, like, I don't know, I would like a hug. (laughs) But but, real side note, Buffy is my favorite show of the world. So if you ever want to talk about it, let me know. So I just finished the first season. I've never seen it before. Uh, It only goes up from here. First season is rough compared to... 
everything else. I've heard that. So I'm kind of like seeing a dude who uh, were like watching these kind of simultaneously and he's mm-hmm. a big Buffy person. Okay. So he's like, if you like it now, like just fucking wait, it's going to get good. So well, he sounds like a winner. So go ahead and marry him. <laughs> he's, he's emotionally a wreck though. So, Oh, <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> well, most people who love Buffy are, so that's okay. Okay. That's what <laughs> it I'm really, noticing. It, it's fun. Cause that show really speaks to, um, they, they introduce a queer character later on. And it was one of the first shows to really do that and have a, a lead character, have yeah. a queer storyline so it's something to look forward to and i know that somebody is queer on the cast and i don't know if i've met that person yet don't tell me anything okay. but i don't know if i know that person and someone i know will become you know they will introduce that or if it's going to be a new person they introduce i'm still in the dark about that that's how little i know about the show okay oh it, it, it's such a fun journey i'm happy that you're you're doing especially with somebody who is a fan of it it's fun to watch their excitement because i have tried many times to have my boyfriend paul watch buffy with me and it's just not for him but my yeah. face the entire time is lit up because it, it was the show that got me through junior high all the way to high school it just right. it, it happened to be on during that time of my life and it was very informative of um my time growing up based on the fandom and like i've heard people say kind of the exact same thing you just said I know there's something really good in this. And so I'm really excited to go on the journey. Yeah. To to go back to the hug. Do you know if your, if your love language has anything to do with touch? Have you ever done that quiz? Yeah, I did it probably a month ago. So yes, touch is high and also like words of affirmation or something. There's one, that one was highest. Something about like being told. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And I want to say the picture that you have up on your Google Hangouts is stunning. So (laughs) What is, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, just give you some words of affirmation. That's good. That's kind of great because then I feel like that's if you're having touch and words, you're kind of activating two parts of your brain. So that's mm-hmm. those are probably really complementary towards one another. Hmm. I don't I haven't put a lot of weight in that kind of thing. But somebody I was working with was talking about her love language or whatever. And so she sent me a link so we can like have a more thorough conversation. So that's as much as I've done into it. I haven't really spent a lot of time on it. Right. Your desire for a hug, it just kind of, I think that was the first thing that activated in my head where I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's just like a, if you get, what about other kind of touching? Are you into like not sexual, but massage or um, handshakes or hugs? Like, do you, do you get good feelings after you get those kind of things? Yeah. Like handshakes for sure. Like, um, a lot of times when I'm like speaking with like my housemates and stuff, like I will put a hand on a shoulder. I've noticed because now I'm trying not to do it. So like I do touch people a lot, like I give touch. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know how I feel. I have I'm just now kind of realizing that I also receive something out of um, being touched. You know, that's, that's great. A new observation about myself because of this uh, quarantine. Yeah. shit. What a good discovery. I guess if anything comes out of it, at least you'll kind of come out at the other end knowing you learned a little bit about yourself. Yeah. But exactly. you were telling me before we recorded that San Francisco is kind of a ghost town, but that's not, that's been home for you for a long time. But where did you, I, I don't think I know where you were born or grew up really. Yeah. So I was born like uh, really close to where Joe Batance lives actually. Okay. Um, and so he, like, he basically gives his address on every podcast. So I yeah. think we can safely <laughs> say it's in Orange County or around Orange County. Yeah. Like kind of LA County, um, but like, practically orange county so like montclair claremont area was where i was born and then i grew up in orange county um and met joe that way and then after orange county i moved to phoenix before i landed here in the bay area what so brought you I've to been... 
here okay, like go eight ahead. years. I've been okay. here like eight years. Okay. Um, came here for a job. Phoenix was because my parents relocated there and they're still there. So after college, I tried to live close to them. Um, but Phoenix is awful. If you've mm-hmm. ever been there, it's just really not a great place. Yeah. Uh, so I had a chance to get out and I did. I've only heard tell of Phoenix. I've never actually had to stay there for anything, but I've, I've never heard anybody. I, I kind of want to know what's their draw. Cause I've never really heard anybody talk positively about that place, but I'm well, sure there has to be something. Yeah. My parents and I, we lived in apartments my entire life in Orange County. They couldn't afford a home there. And so they moved to Phoenix where they now have a pretty large home and they're living a life that they can live on the amount of money they have. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's a good life. Don't the, the only kind of like downside is you're in Phoenix and right. you have to deal with that. But they're also in a point in life where like strip malls and, you know, they want a, a super cuts and a Chipotle close to them. You know, that's important to them. <laughs> right. And they, they got four or five of them. So it. it, it it's gross. It, the food is gross. The politics are bad. Yeah. The people, I don't know. Oh, there's a lot about it to hate in my yeah. opinion. But it sounds if you like a franchise or something comfortable, that's what Phoenix is going to provide. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. A franchise and, and oh. lots of parking. <laughs> oh, that's my dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so you've been in the Bay Area for eight years. Is that kind of where you see yourself living f- at least for a long time, if not forever? Well, that's an interesting question. I think before kind of this whole shutdown nonsense or shut in stuff that was happening, I maybe would have a different answer. Um, I'm kind of, I was at a point right before this happened where I was like seeking opportunities to get out Mm -hmm. of the Bay. Um, Specifically, I was kind of thinking I'd like to get uh, work on like a a Broadway tour of some sort. Oh, cool. Um, So I was like, in the process of like figuring out how I can get some experience that would allow me to kind of fluff my resume in the right way to get that kind of a job, live Mm -hmm. on the road. Um, And I'm kind of, I was kind of seeking opportunities that were like a hundred percent on the road. So just kind of see everything, no permanent home, except for, you know, my PTO time, my personal time would be, I could go wherever I wanted since I don't have a home. Right. Um, But I don't know. I've, since then i kind of a few other opportunities have come along and everything's just in a holding pattern i don't know what's going to happen so i don't know if i'm going to stay in the bay or not but i'm not i'm not convinced that this is my forever home Uh, okay so expensive and there i'm not i'm single i don't have i mean i have decent friends i have good friends here but i have good friends all over the world right so i don't there's no reason i have to stay here it so. seems like a touring co- or like working with a touring company where you get to see the world. I think you might, I had a job where it had me traveling very often and I got to, you know, you're working and you get to see places, but you're not really just because you're working and you kind of realize, I realized that was when my heart belonged in LA. I was like, okay, I, I think this is kind of my forever place, even though I'm from here and around here. And I, I just can't imagine myself, the elements of other places. It was, it was a wild trip for me to realize that. Cause I always thought I was this, nomad who could really bounce around everywhere but i learned a lot during that job yeah and that's what i'm thinking i don't think like oh my life will be a man i don't want to be a man with no home i feel like Mm -hmm. maybe i'm at a point in my life right now where i can be a man with no home until i figure out where i want home to be well the great thing about the bay area and this is kind of get us into the topic but uh, Bay Area is very gay friendly and gay centric. They're very accepting. And, and do you feel like you can be who you really are up there? Like you don't have to hide much? I do. Yeah. 
I've been, I was really lucky. I worked at Disneyland when I was really young. Um, I got a job there my senior year of high school. Uh-huh. And I credit that with me coming out so easily. Like, everyone at, at Disneyland is just gay. Every, like, literally, you're just assumed to be gay unless you give people a reason to believe otherwise. In fact, like, people would whisper, like, oh, I think that person might be straight. And we would, like, gossip <laughs> yeah. about the straight boys, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I was 18. I never had to tell people at work, like, oh, I'm, I have to tell you, I'm actually a homosexual. Everyone just asked, like, oh, are you da-? like? Are you dating? Are you interested in that guy? Like, it just was a thing. It just became, like, easy to talk about. And so, yeah, the Bay Area is like that, too. But I feel like I've kind of always lived. I've been lucky. I've been lucky to live a life where it has never been really difficult. I never lived in anywhere too backward. You know, Phoenix is kind of conservative, but they're pretty socially liberal. They just like their guns, too, you know? Yeah. And what age were you at Disney? Like, when did you start there? And when was all this happening? I got hired at Disneyland my senior year of high school, um, and then I worked there for a couple years. So it wasn't like I was there forever, but it was like formative years where a lot of people were like coming out to friends and all of that, whereas all my new friends were, you know, the gay boys, and it just was not ever a thing that I had to kind of deal with, luckily. Yeah, uh, I have a lot of friends who still work for Disney or at Disney, and they say you're basically gay until proven straight. Like, it's yeah. kind of still that kind of climate. Um, so you were, it sounds like you were young. And was that did you grow up being out? Or when did yeah. when was that? When was that realization I for you? Didn't. So I have parents who are kind of like, um, well, they're very conservative, they're church going, they are they go to kind of like a non denominational mega church um kind of like born again sort of crowd and uh growing up it was i mean my mom knew i was gay probably before i did because i started getting talks very early on about how it was not okay to be gay um like before i even kind of had been able to sort of solidify the idea that i was in my own head um so that happened um i was closeted through high school there was one weird um instance where my mom found a magazine i had do you remember xy magazine does that ring a bell oh where they always have kind of a shirtless guy in a speedo on the cover yeah it was always like twinkie kids um and it was like gay themed it wasn't porn or anything but it was like uh just a magazine about being a young gay teenager Mm -hmm. um there was something kind of pedophile about it but as a 17 year old myself i didn't understand that um, but looking back now, I'm like, I kind of understand that they had two probably types of an, two types of an audience, right? Yeah. Um, Joe Batanz and other people. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a few of those magazines like hidden in my room somewhere and I went away on a, a trip school related. And when I came back, my mom had like turned my room over in, she said she was cleaning, but like really she was snooping. And she found them and like we had this like hard conversation where I denied everything. Mm -hmm. And she's like, okay, if that's what you say, then that's what it is. And then um, so that was like the 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 earliest kind of like real conversation we had about it directly. And then they moved to Phoenix uh, when I was in college. And then pretty much as soon as I was like no longer financially tied to them in any way, I wrote them a letter and kind of came clean and. Uh, that was how I came out to them. Oh, interesting. Then, okay. Yeah. So I was like 18, 19 when that happened. All right. And did the letter, was that the, 
had you known that it was going to be in a letter or were you, was there a part of you that wanted to tell them in person or over the phone or had it always, was it always going to be a letter? <laughs> Jay, I don't write them letters ever. Like, <laughs> this letter was intentionally just to tell them this news that I could not tell them in any other way. <laughs> I imagine you with the quill next to the window being like, dearest mommy and daddy. <laughs> yeah. Every week. It was a, probably a really dramatic letter too. Yeah. Do you know, um, so did they keep I, I put it? it in a letter because, <sighs> I, I wish they that I knew that answer, but I don't know. And I okay. don't think I could really ask. I don't feel comfortable asking because it's still kind of a, a spot of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gotten a lot better. Um, and I'm I'm happy to kind of walk through, talk through some of that, too. I but love that. It, it's gotten a lot better in the 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 recently. They've met partners of mine. They're. Okay. My mom tries really hard to my mom loves me. My dad loves me. I don't doubt that at all um it's just very clear that like they don't understand this part and right. they my mother tries she wants to know kind of like who if i'm dating she'll ask um in her weird way she'll say like do you have any friends you know right now like she mm-hmm. kind of like stutters and i'm like oh she's asking about if i'm dating right so i kind of fill in the gaps so she doesn't have to ask the questions um but in the very beginning uh after i came out each conversation would have like her opinions on homosexuality and what she thinks the Bible says and how I should consider, you know, going to church and uh, some stuff that was actually a little bit hurtful even where I would tell her like, I would say like, hey, these are feelings I have. Like this is, you know, real. This is my experience. And she would say, yes, but this is what I'm hearing from church or the Bible. And it just was like really hurtful. Mm -hmm. And so we had a few deep, hard conversations where I was like, you know, the way you ended this call makes me want to call you less. So if that's the goal, keep it up. Otherwise, like maybe cut that out of our conversations because I don't want to call you if we're going to end each call this way. Right. And so she kind of cut back on it. I also, you know, grew up and uh, matured and came to understand that her her intention is she wants to live with me for eternity in heaven. And that's not an awful thing. You know, she loves me and wants what she believes is the best for me. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. And like, if we can both, if I can see that and she can kind of like calm down on the, the, um, the religious talk, maybe we can have decent conversations and we have, and we've grown. It's not perfect, but it's better. So and do you think so? These are still conversations that are happening from when you were late teens to where you are yeah. now. Okay. Yeah, it's you know it's certainly calmed down, and like she's met partners of mine, and like she knows I'm not changing. Like this is kind of what it is. But if we had a conversation, I don't bring it up. But if we had a conversation about if her God made me this way or not, she would still to this day feel that that I have chosen to live a life of gayness instead of the life that I was supposed to live. Mm -hmm. And what is her response to partners that she's met? It's weird. My mom's a lot like um, tofu. I've explained this a few times, but she's a lot like tofu. So whatever she's around, she's, she gets it. So when she sees me happy with someone, she's happy. And when she sees us in a relationship where we're, you know, building a life together. She gets that 
that's what it is. And, you know, if she wants to be part of my life, then she has to accept that. And she does. Mm -hmm. Um, Even like political conversations and stuff. If we sit down and like dig out an issue, she gets that. But then she also, she lives with a man who watches Fox News every night and, you know, listens to Bill O'Reilly podcasts and Sean Hannity and stuff who kind of make her think different, differently. So she's just kind of like goes wherever, you know, whatever she's around, she kind of is in it. So very malleable, kind of impressionable on opinions. Yeah. And I think if I spent more time kind of like with her, maybe she would come around and, you know, be more of an advocate for me and, you know, but I don't know. Yeah. So that, so with your parents, it sounds like that was a a letter to them and you, you wanted to do that, but with friends, was it ever a conversation where you were leaning? You know, I forgot to ask. I mean, you identify as gay. Is that right? Or is there any? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure I'm not mislabeling. So with friends, were you, was it known that you were gay or was it, you were kind of code switching to be straight and then you would come out to them in, in waves. Yeah. So like right around the time that I came out to my family, I feel like I came out to friends first, um, you know, give or take a couple that I wasn't super close with, but I, uh, did have to come out to like my close circle of high school friends. Mm -hmm. Um, there were a few high school friends that, I came out too much earlier. Like I actually came out in high school. We were, you know, I came out to them, they came out to me and, you know, it was obvious. So we just kind of like stopped pretending when we were just, (laughs) when it was just the two of us. Yeah. Um, But I did have to come out to some high school friends and I have a group of like really close girlfriends who have, they all married like military men and they're scattered now all across the country because of like military reassignments and a few of them are very conservative and we have the the relationship's not strained at all but we don't really talk about anything kind of deep like Mm -hmm. those relationships have stayed kind of superficial relationships and i feel like all of my deeper meaningful relationships have developed because or developed after coming out so, yes, I had to come out to some people, and those people just kind of are no longer really important parts of my life. It sounded like you were already hanging out with people who identified as gay themselves. It's it's funny how we're able to, without words, just find our clan. Yeah. <laughs> it just works out. Because I had a few instances like that, too, where I was hanging out with my best friend, and then we lost touch, and then come to find out that at 24 he had come out and I was like, Oh, okay. So that was the common bond that we had without even knowing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So high school. So looking back kind of around that age or even maybe earlier, was there somebody in the media that you thought represented who you were or the way that you were feeling? That's a good question. Um, no, I like, I don't, I never had an experience where I was like, Oh, Ellen came out on her show and I knew I don't, I never had one of those kind of in the media that I can, pinpoint really easily mm-hmm. um i mean like will and grace was important to me for whatever reason but i feel like i already had a decent grasp of who i was when that was happening so i i don't have anything that i can really think of yeah okay like, and was there any were there, since you were out in high school did word get around were there any instances with bullies or even younger where kids knew that maybe you were queer and they kind of picked up on that yeah, I will. So I wasn't out in high school. I just oh. had I just had a couple of kids like from high school. 
well in high school who I came out to, if that makes sense. So like I had a couple theater friends who they knew and I knew they were. And, oh, okay. you know, that was kind of our thing. You didn't write a letter to the school too. No, no. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I, in my head, I thought that it, cause you know how there's always like a few that are, I've, I've, we stand on their shoulders cause they're so brave in high school to be out to the entire school. That's what I was imagining. But yeah, within your me. click, within your that, click. That was Jared Lorenzen. He was the kid who was out. Um, and everyone knew it. Peter Felix as well. Two uh-huh. Mavericks of Bray Olinda high school. Um, who are living great lives now. Wow. And um, but it wasn't me. No, I was kind of a coward about it and came out to the the friends that I knew were, you know, gonna keep my secret safe. Well, we uh, thank them for their service for allowing <laughs> us to do that. But okay, so um so the, I so then was there any because I got bullied even though I was never out, and I think people just yeah. were able to pick up on me. They smell being, it. They they can. And so did you have any anything like that? Yeah, so Middle school actually was rough for me. So seventh and eighth grade um, were split between schools. So we relocated in that time. So seventh grade, I spent in Anaheim and eighth grade, I moved to Brea. Mm -hmm. And when we moved, it was a weird. So what happened was we went from in Anaheim being kind of like a, a wealthy, poor family. Right. So we were like on the wealthier side of all the poor kids at the school. And then when I moved, I was kind of a poor kid in a more wealthy, affluent uh, area. Okay. And so things shifted a lot in many ways. Um, and the gay stuff kind of picked up. The bullying picked up generally, but the gay stuff picked up as well then. Yeah. Um, nothing so intense where I was like beat up really or um, it, it, nothing like incredibly scarring, but still it was bullying and like there was fear of going to like specific classes or changing in the locker room because that's where it got really intense or so there was some of that that happened um i was lucky though and once i hit high school i started finding kind of like uh my clicks to kind of sit into so i was a marching band nerd so i excelled in that crowd i was in uh drama and theater i excelled in that crowd i did some kind of theater tech and i had really good friends there so i had safe spaces on campus where i would go there were just, just kind of like the commuting to and fro, those safe spaces that were yeah. a little difficult here and there. But um, it wasn't it wasn't awful compared to a lot of high school experiences I hear about. Right. Um, you know, it was just kind of being called fag every once in a while or, you know, I, fag is the name I remember being called. I was probably called a lot, a lot of names. Those mm-hmm. are just the ones that I remember. So more verbal than than yeah, physical. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lot not- of it, I've come to terms, a lot of it, I even have memories in elementary school of bullying other people. There was a kid named Craig who I bullied quite a bit. And I was like responsible for kind of coming up with the most clever of names that we called him. And they were all related to him being kind of like a pansy sort of like effeminate little boy. And I feel very guilty about that. And mm-hmm. I've come to sort of terms that like, I was deflecting like it was him or me. And so, you know, I was pushing it onto him and that's helped me find some peace with some of the bullying that I've kind of experienced because I know the kids who were doing it to me were, you know, dealing with their own shit as well. And they were just kind of in a him or me sort of state and they were pushing it my direction. So, yeah, truly junior high and high school are the wild west where it's like, if the eyes aren't on me, they're on somebody else. Thank God. Like, I just don't, yeah, I, it, it's hard. You, you don't want that type of attention on you. So I understand the trying to pin it onto somebody else and just get the attention yeah. off of yourself. It sounds like theater though, has always been kind of a staple in your life. Is that something that you've had interest in forever? 
Yeah, it's weird. I yes, it is. Um, but I'm not a performer, so I'm not a singer, dancer, actor. I just really like theater. So, it, like in high school, I certainly performed because that was the way you could be around it is join drama club and be in a play and you know do all that. But I really just like like being around it more than anything. So um, I'm trying to figure out ways to kind of continue to like do it, so to speak, without performing because I don't like that at all. Right. Well, and you recently took a, a if you, if everybody listens to Catching Up, you'll kind of know this already. But you took a position where it was kind of grooming you. You were acting as an assistant director. Stage manager. Stage yeah. manager. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And what's that? What all does that entail? Because I have a little theater experience, but maybe some people don't. Jay, I fucking love it. I found something that I really like doing. And it's like, I did everything. So it was for this play called Memphis. Uh, it's a musical. And I'm like moving furniture. I'm like unzipping dresses. I'm like, just like doing everything i'm like lifting stuff (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. but (laughs) like opening curtains closing curtains pushing things lifting things being silent you know like just doing all this like really fun stuff um and i really like it really there's not a good way to define it because it's really just like you do anything that needs to be done right um and it's stage manager just ensures that the show goes smoothly without seeing any of the seams in the cloth so that people if if you if there's a quick costume change the stage manager is there to rip off the old costume and put something on so that you're there for your next cue or um they're 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 ensuring because the director is so busy the everybody in backstage is just running around and the stage manager is the one who's just ensuring everything's going smoothly yeah and so this was the first time i've done it kind of at a at this level um you know i did similar stuff in high school but the productions were you know just smaller and also i was just younger and a little immature and i was there to kind of socialize and talk to friends and not take things seriously Mm -hmm. Uh, but this time i was there for the right reason and i was there to kind of learn about how things run and gain experience. And it was, I mean, there were moments where I was like, you know what, I'm exhausted, but I'm going to stay late because I want to mop the stage. So it's dry tomorrow. Like just kind of like using my body to kind of do a job thoroughly. And like on a team that's like really tight and everyone is doing the best that they can and using every muscle and not a single person could be absent because this whole thing will fall apart without one of us. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it was just a really cool experience and it was great. And sadly got cut short. Our last week was uh, canceled because of this uh, uh, crowd um, minimizing yeah. thing. It was, it was a bummer. That is. Uh, do you think that they'll pick it up again or does it seem like it's, nah. it's done? We were, okay. the, yeah, everything's been striked already, so it's and done. Because my favorite Mike Lawson stories are the dating ones, did you ever end up, is there anybody from cast or crew that you're going to stay in touch with? And Oh, is this, the, <laughs> is this maybe a Buffy? Is this the Buffy Watcher? No, the Buffy Watcher is the therapist, if you're familiar oh, with that story. Yeah, I am very familiar, yes. He sounds yeah. he, he sounds fun. I, <laughs> I I like hearing his stories. He's a little emotionally unstable, to be honest, for a therapist. Uh Well, I feel like he has to take so many other things on. So maybe he's just, you know, your house gets dirty when you're helping others keep theirs clean. For sure. Um, So no, there are a couple people in the cast that I would, I think will be friends for the long term. Mm -hmm. Um, There was somebody in the cast who also works for, works with me in my full-time job. 
and our relationship has gotten really tight since then. So we were like acquaintances before the show. Mm-hmm. Then we did this whole show together where we were spending a lot of time together, plus commuting to the theater together. So we have really gotten to know one another, and um, that's a good friendship that's going to last a while. Oh, great. Um, but other than that, I mean, there was one courier dude. I think Joe and I talked about him a little bit. I, I don't know how long it'll last, though. Okay, all right. Well, so- I'm, I'm, I maybe got everything I need to get out of that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Copy that. Yeah, no, I mean, sometimes you just got to have fun, which is good. Um, when you were coming to realize kind of your queer identity as being gay, do you remember how that, do you remember, it, this is such a hard question, so if you can't think of it immediately, it's yeah. okay. But do you remember the moment of realizing that you were maybe different from other boys? Yeah, I do. I've kind of um, uh, tried to remember some of these early memories and you kind of have to like focus on it. It's like, um, have you ever had those like invisible stars or not invisible, like uh, glow in the dark stars on your ceiling? You yeah, those? yeah. Uh-huh. When they start to fade, if you look directly at them, you can't see them. You have to kind of like look away and you could see it on your peripheral. Mm-hmm. And I feel with a lot of these memories, it's the same way. If I sit down, and I was like, when did I know I was gay? I don't remember. But when I start just having like memories of like being six and kind of like really early crushes that weren't sexual at all, but were like just infatuations. When I start thinking about that kind of stuff, I start kind of remembering some of the, the peripheral. Mm-hmm. And I I remember it's weird. Like I've never had thought like I've never thought to myself, like, I was born a man, but I shouldn't have been. Like, I I feel very connected to kind of um, being a man. But uh-huh. I do remember very early on, and I think it was born out of kind of some confusion that I was having where I was, like, attracted to men, but, like, women date men and marry men, and I'm not a woman. So maybe, like, I started having, like, weird kind of youth fantasies where i was like well when i grew up i could be a woman and marry him or right so there's like some really early confusion around that yeah that i remember um and then i remember very clearly uh an oprah winfrey or not oprah winfrey uh phil donahue episode Mm -hmm. where easy to confuse those two (laughs) yeah (laughs) well (laughs) a a man came on he had been married for i don't know 30 years and had a wife and kids and realized he was gay and told his wife and isn't this shocking. And I remember being for the first time being like, ah, gay, that's what it's called. Like, that's what I'm feeling. And like, there was like some feelings of shame specifically around the conversation my mom had about being gay with me. Like Mm -hmm. she would always say like, it, it was always very loving. Like, you know, if any of my children told me that they were gay, I would still love them. But this is how I feel, right? So she was having these conversations with like an eight-year-old, right? Because she knew where this thing was headed, yeah. Um, and so I, I remember kind of having both feelings of like, aha, I understand what gay is, but then also like instant shame because like, oh shit, I feel that, and my mom is telling me like that is not something that should be felt right right it's interesting that it took that label of a man telling saying this is what i am and this is what you could be i think that kind of speaks to the earlier question of was there anybody in the media who you thought represented you because we just didn't have that yeah and i still don't think we have great representation i think it's getting a little bit better but it's it's hard to for a kid to understand who they are what they like 
without uh, so much of our the way we're grown the way we're raised is around fictional tv characters unfortunately and i think that's uh we don't see that very often right um so you talked a little bit about crushes do you remember who your first crush was you don't have to name names yeah i mean there were you know school crushes on like classmates um there was a, a when i was in the I think like fifth or sixth grade, there was a teacher who taught that same grade level um, who I really fancied and he was a man. Um, So I remember him. I mean, I also had like crushes on female teachers too uh, earlier. It just was not, it was never something of a sexual nature. It was just like, Oh, I really like being around. This person makes me feel good. Yeah. And I like this person a lot. Um, So do you feel like those traits kind of translate to who you're attracted to now? Like uh, a teacher type or was there a physicality to that? Those people that you still see that you're interested in? Huh? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, so I have, I would never say this to somebody I was dating, but I tend, my kind of tastes tend to uh, go back and forth between being like fucking nuts, uh, emotional wreck and then being kind of like, so that's one person I date. And then it goes back to being like incredibly stable, very boring, has all their shit together, usually kind of controlling because they like everybody in the world to adhere to their rules and they like to maintain that control. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of go back and forth between those two. So like the teacher that I had crushes on, those people were, yeah, I mean, they were, maybe, maybe I'm just describing the world though, like there are two kinds of people, people who have it together and those that don't. And I'm attracted to both. Okay. Yeah. They both, everyone I've been attracted to falls into both of those categories, but they're both really general. Do you think that you bring something different to the relationship depending on who you're dating? Like if you have a more stable partner, are you a certain way versus if it's somebody unstable, you're, you kind of code switch to something else? No, I think I actually, that's a good question, Jay. I think that I bring the same thing to the table in both. It's like, I help people kind of like develop the other parts of themselves that are maybe underdeveloped or not kind of, they haven't spent a lot of time on. So I'll get into a relationship with someone with a shitty family life and kind of like help them examine that not necessarily clean it up, but figure out why they don't want to clean it up. Maybe, you know, like I, I feel like I'm always the guy who's like, Oh, why are you ignoring that? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of my role in everything. So it's the same role regardless of, which side of crazy you are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Um, When you were, this is kind of a little switching gears, but when you were doing your series on of zines for Patreon and open up your bag, uh, how come you geared that as more specifically the open up your bag? How come you geared that as a children's book? Was that just a, a space in the market that you noticed was empty? Yeah. So I wrote and illustrated a children's book called Open Your Open Up Your Bag. I'm working on a second now. Um, I have been a lover of children's lit forever. Um, I worked for a minute in um, kind of like the Boys and Girls Club movement and like youth development. And I've always loved reading to kids. And like um, at one time I ran literacy programs when I was in Orange County working with kids and families. I really like kids lit. And so... Even even now, I mean, I'm not, you know, hmm, I want to read a book tonight. I'm not picking up you <laughs> green know, eggs and ham. A cookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm in for the night. <laughs> I do like that, like kids books a lot. And so I wanted to kind of make my own. That's always been a thing. So it wasn't really like a question of, 
will I do a book for kids or not? It was more like, what is my kid's book going to be about? That was kind of the bigger question for me. And I had worked previously in like the diabetes space and I knew there was a niche that I could kind of um, pick up and create something for. And then this is kind of gross to say and um, I'm going to say it anyway, like the business side of me is like, I could sell this book. Like I already have a diabetes following where I can help, I can find people that can help me get the word out about it to the right people. But also I have like a weird following of people that are going to buy this book just because they're like, hey, my friend Mike wrote a kid's book about diabetes and I have diabetes, I'm going to buy it, even though they're not the target demo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that kind of was like the inspiration behind the 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 book. Yeah, I think you could take out that gross feeling. I feel like you have to, that when you're putting out a product that you want people to look at, you have to really think about sellability and getting the word out. So yeah. I think that you're, you're totally justified in thinking as far as marketing, how is this going to go? Because it's a, it's something near and dear to your heart that you can speak passionately about. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I, I think you're that's right. a fair part. You're right. I just, it feels like I'm supposed to say like, it's all heart. I did all of this because I want to help people and kids, which I do, but I also, you know, would like to make figure out a way to kind of monetize this and make (laughs) it my job. (laughs) Nothing anybody ever does is 100% selfless. So don't let anybody tell you anything differently. (laughs) Um, And then the art style, I kind of want to touch on that too, is you have such different range from what are in your zines versus what's in your book. So where do your styles, I guess, where do they come from? How did you find out that you have such different takes? Yeah. So the art in the book this again is a secret that I don't talk about a lot. It's something I can do. So I kind of like, it looks almost like paper cutouts a little bit. Like it's like very flat. And um, I do kind of like some weird rough edges, almost doodle like stuff. And it's the secret is that I don't know that I can do things that are better than that. So I've figured out a way to kind of perfect this doodle like style so that it looks like it was very intentional, but rather what I'm really what I'm doing is kind of just perfecting kind of what I can do instead of like trying to be more like a, you know, a, a really kind of intense uh, landscape artist that does like really great uh, kind of watercolor backgrounds or like incredibly detailed characters. This is not something that I have the ability to do. Mm-hmm. And then when I did the zine stuff, the zine stuff, that's what I like like to draw so if i just sat down and started to draw that's what it would look like um i i love those zines i have them up on my i have a bookshelf kind of in my uh in the corner of my apartment and i had friends over for brunch months ago and they saw the art style and they go oh this is cool what is this and i told them about your project and they're like i really because it's i don't know how to really describe it to people but you kind of take real life i I, you would know better How, (laughs) how how do you describe it you kind of have to see it to know how to speak yeah. about it. Here's here's something cool about it, Jay, is I don't talk about it much. I mean, I have a, a really solid group of people that subscribed that I, I didn't have to spend a lot of time kind of like selling it. Um, unlike the children's book, I don't do um, like the, with the children's book, I was doing like diabetes podcasts and interviews and like trying to get the word out and like doing all of that. But with the zine, like. It's a a solid group of people. I'm happy with the number. I'm not, you know, out there selling it. So this is really one of the first times I've had to 
explain it. So oh, I'm happy to I'm happy to get the scoop because I I love <laughs> it. I I, I want to hear a little bit more about it. I do a personal story. Um, so I write a story and then I just illustrate it kind of with any sort of image that kind of comes to mind. And a lot of times they're weird. I for my brain kind of gets into like weird kind of a hybrid images. If you'll notice, like there's I don't know. I'm trying to think of even one like. Um, I told a story about an old lady that I had a relationship with and our friendship grew and she died. And so there were like images of like old bodies with like, um, skeleton heads and then like <laughs> old bodies with like Cleopatra heads. Cause there was like a Cleopatra theme in the, in the story as well. So like, I don't, I don't really, I, it's just whatever comes to mind and they're kind of like doodles and sketches and they're rough. There's nobody's looking at it and wondering if it's a photograph or a drawing. Like it's clearly a rough sketch of stuff and that's kind of what they are. So there's 12 of them. The last one, by the way, um, I'm blaming COVID-19, mm-hmm. um, but it had a lot, there was a little bit of procrastination to kind of get it out. And so it'll come out soon. <laughs> 95% COVID-19 and 5% yeah. procrastination. <laughs> well, it, and so can people still, is there any way for people to get these still from your Patreon? So as soon as this last one comes out, uh, I'm going to uh, publish them on, uh, they'll be available on Amazon as a compilation. So there Amazing. will be something available on Amazon um, about the same time as this last issue uh, gets sent in the mail. Amazing. Okay, so we'll have to keep an eye out for that. And honestly, everybody just keep an eye out because they're really really fun and really cool to look at. And they're obviously a conversation piece, like I told you. So, um, okay. So that's really kind of the, the bulk of the podcast, but I do have some just fast questions. I'm asking everybody I talk to these same questions just to see kind of how their answers vary. That's good. If you're okay. Speed round kind of actually, I forgot. I missed one in kind of the queer section of the podcast. So I'm going to include it in with this and it's going to be my first one. Is there any song that you associate with queer culture that you think, Oh, this is a gay song. Oh, a lot. I mean, there's a lot. I feel like, um madonna's uh entire uh f- her first greatest hits album what's it called um, i'm sure. i'm not a man's no uh anyway madonna. her first okay. I, I would say that i feel like there's a lot i feel like i'm coming out is like you can't go to gay pride and not hear that somewhere right um i feel like there's a lot of gay songs um whether the artist meant for it to be or not they are immaculate collection okay there it, okay i had the i was gonna say emancipation but i knew that that wasn't right okay immaculate collection okay but yeah okay so you have a, there are quite a couple that you associate with that yeah are you a pride goer and this is not one of my questions but i just thought of this yeah i mean i this last year i didn't go i would say in the last five years i've kind of been like every other year i don't uh-huh. need it every year um i do i accept the criticisms of pride but I also see it as like my kind of duty to a community, you know, that I am a part of, whether I like it or not. These are my brothers and sisters and I I go out for it. And I'm lucky because I live in the Bay Area. So I have San Francisco Pride, which is like a fucking pride. And then I have Oakland Pride, which is like bring your family and watch a show. Yeah. And I kind of will go back and forth between the two. So 
I had a time where I was in San Francisco just by chance during the first day of Pride. I was leaving and yeah. I saw, I forgot that you could be fully naked in San Francisco. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> and there was a guy in a clear backpack and I said, he's really leaving nothing to the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a wild, I mean, I just looked I was like, oh man, okay, well, here San we are. San Francisco Pride is my favorite Pride. I haven't been to everyone, but of all the Prides I've been to, it's great because the whole city just turns on. We're oh. all gay during gay pride, you know? It's, it's not a, like it's you have moment. to wait in line, get a wristband, go into pride. It's just like the city turns on and it's now pride weekend. The city's even more alive than it normally is, for sure. Um, okay, yeah. so so favorite color. Did I do that one? Orange. Okay. Your car, your bedroom, and your kitchen are a disaster. Which one do you clean first? car i don't have a car so let's cut that one out bedroom kitchen well kitchen i would say bedroom first okay how come uh because i spend most of my time kind of in this space and so i don't like clutter i'm a everything's organized even if like oh my god this pile of paper is driving me nuts it's in a pile and it's over there and i know what needs to be cleaned up like even when i'm at my most cluttered it's usually like this area is cluttered and needs to be cleaned. It's not like the entire place is a mess, you know? Yeah, yeah. I should have thought of something for you better than a car because I forgot that you take yeah. the bard in. <laughs> the bard's super dirty. Do you clean it? Gross, um, no. okay. <laughs> okay, the next one. Uh, can you name something that you're curious about right now? Yeah, what am I curious? I would, so I'm curious about, um, this is weird. I have been kind of obsessing over like, um some new eating kind of like patterns i've been joe and i talked briefly about it i think we were recording i'm not sure but i've been doing like intermittent fasting for like a year and i'm kind of getting closer to like a one meal a day kind of thing and like learning about autophagy and insulin is always like the way the body handles insulin has always been like top of mind for me for uh reasons that we didn't discuss much but i have type 1 diabetes so like I've always been there. So I think like um, fasting and how the body handles food and fasting periods has been very interesting lately. Yeah. And especially when it's relevant to your body, that's, it's good that you're educating yourself on that. That's great. Yeah. Um, Can you brag about something that you're good at? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to leave it right there? (laughs) Well, I mean, you, I feel like you touched, you did a really great job because you're a wonderful interviewer. By the way, there's compliments in the chat room about the questions you're asking, like great follow-ups and stuff. So they they agree with this. I feel like you asked a lot of them. So it would just be like a double brag. I feel like I'm good at kind of like, uh, visual storytelling stuff that I've been trying to do more and more of. Um, so, you know, stuff we've already talked about. Well, listen, that's why Catching Up is such a great show. Is And I'm it, you and Joe have a way, you guys have a great chemistry, obviously, but the way that you guys tell stories, you really paint a picture. I don't know what the therapist looks like. I don't know what the, I don't want to bring him up, but the, the one with the dog, the trainer, I don't know what he looked like, but you, you painted it so I felt like I could see the street where the dog was walking. It's, oh, cool. You guys have a really good talent of, uh, you, you are really good at what you do. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. And then um, last two, do you have a favorite physical feature of yourself? Um, I would say I let my hands and my feet, I think, are like decent hands and feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike, I, I asked for just one, I'm... please. <laughs> Let's not get off. <laughs> <laughs> 
when I like when I court other people, that's an important feature to me. Like I feel like you can just tell when I look at someone's hands and feet, I know kind of the body stroke. It just tells me everything. Like you could be wearing a burqa, but if I'm I can see the hands and feet, I know what I'm dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like my hands and feet tell my body's story really well. And not necessarily what it is today, but what it could be. <laughs> I need to make sure I moisturize before I meet you because I feel like I'm a mess. Um, and then I like to leave everybody feeling happy. So uh, what are you most complimented on? Um, I am complimented on being kind often. Um, and what's weird is Batanz and I recently were talking on an episode about how I get a lot more credit on this than I think I deserve. Um, but the compliment comes because people feel that I'm being kind to them, whether it's genuine or not, is kind of neither here nor there. But uh, (laughs) I feel like I am good at kind of like um, matching a person with what, where they're at and what they need. So like, you know, if someone comes at me and needs a shoulder, I've got it. If they come and they need me to say that person's an asshole, I'll say it. Like I kind of can pick up on that and kind of give the appropriate amount of kindness. So I would say that that's my, uh, something I'm good at. And not to bring it all, tie it up in a bag, but it sounds like you kind of picked that up from your mom because that's kind of like a sponge where you're able to adapt and give people what they what they want yeah, or what yeah. they need, maybe. Okay. The chat room says I should have said I'm most complimented on my hands and feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after you, if that's all you're looking for, yeah, that's you should have your own in order. Well, Mike, that's really the end of Outcast. Thank you so much for being on with me for episode two. It, it really, I, like I said, I, I know of you I've, t- I've chatted with you a little bit, but it's so good to like just get a deep dive in and kind of learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, and I appreciate all the stuff you do too, by the way. It's weird that we know each other, but we've never talked. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, you got to, I, I heard, I don't know if it's still happening with all this stuff going on, but I heard Taylor's supposed to come to LA at some point and I'd love to meet everybody from Afterthought or I'm, I bounced to San Francisco every once in a while. So next time I'm up there, I'll give yeah, a little. Even if it's like, hey, we're at this bar uh, tonight, t- like, Next time you come to San Francisco, let me know. And like, maybe I'll just run by for a drink or two, you know? Perfect. Okay, that sounds great. Well, until that happens, thank you all so much for listening to Outcast. I will be back soon uh, with my next guest, who is TBD. Thank you again, Mike. Bye-bye. <laughs>